Welcome to Talking Giants presented by DraftKings. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick. Today's show, we have, I, I thought it was a pretty cool interview. Not a very long one, but a cool interview with Jamar Chaney, who, if you're not familiar, was with the Giants coaching staff during the OTAs um, and the Bill Walsh like you know coaching diversity program. So I, I thought it was pretty cool. He had some, you know, he actually played for the Eagles and had some pretty bad memories for us, but, you know, there is a connection there. And uh, and he recognized my area code when I called him because he uh, he's like right he's right around from the same area. So how about that? Um, but we're also going to talk about the Giants' biggest areas uh, need needs for improvement. So I, I actually this is low key a pretty important episode for like the last episode of June. Justin, how are you? And Justin, you have some news. How are you? Oh yeah, uh, Bobby Skinner. I have some news. Uh, Jamar Chaney is a well-traveled man. Apparently knows your area code, which is cool. It's a cool interview. Looking forward to that. And uh, I-, I was sick. You you questioned my character. How do I sound? Do I sound good? Yeah, you sound good. I mean, I know you sounded good anyways. You just kind of like faked your voice for that video. To get no, I did not. I sounded bad. I got I got a lot of I got a lot of messages. I could fake my voice too to make <laughs> it sound like I'm sick. Um, really did sound like Kermit the Frog there for a hot sec. I'm I'm not 100 percent yet, but I'm still I'm still battling through. Um, my news is I guess we'll just get right to it. Um, I didn't really want to say it. I didn't really want to publicize it for just the general public, because I really, I, I genuinely feel like I, hate those I don't posts, even deserve it. And I it did yet. one, but I hate those posts. So, well, I, I don't. I, I wanted to do it privately just for my friends and family to know like what my next step is in life. And my next step in life is that, um, I am a full time uh employee of John Boy Media. So, talking Giants, um, and what will eventually be. Um, talking football, you know, um, we're going to beg you and plead you and really ask you nicely when we start doing some talking football stuff, Bobby and I, that you kind of come along with us. If you enjoy what we do for giant stuff, then come along with us when we do football stuff. So that's what I've been hired to do. I'm hired to kind of just continue growing talking giants, but really, you know, let's get, let's get some more, some more football coverage going, which will happen soon. It's not, we're Bobby and I, we were in the early stages and yeah, yeah. Training camp Um, basically. So yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I kind of started this whole thing because of me, of Jimmy and Jake of no, not because of you, Bobby. I, I actually, I started when, when did you start simple man radio? Like what year? 2018. Cause I mean, like right before Saquon got drafted. All right. Well then 20, yeah, I, I started, you know, in 2018 as well. Now, obviously 2018, I would say Bobby and I both can agree that there has been basically 2019, 2020, and then 2021. There's been three years where I think Bobby and I, we, we can say that we've been doing it right. And then the first year we're both, you know, 2018 for both of us, we were doing it wrong, where we were just putting up podcast episodes and then the, the and then that's it. Everybody has to go through that. But yeah, started in 2018 because of Jimmy and Jake, John Boy Jake, Talking Yanks, before they were even John Boy Media. And, uh, you know, long story short, three years later, we're here and... I'm an employee for the company, and I'm getting paid, which is kind of cool. So, um, let's go, Bobby Skinner. Let's continue to work. I'm excited. I got really excited over the weekend because we were, we are doing, we're going, we're taking a week off next week. But but for that, we have to get some stuff done this week to prepare for that, so we can have some evergreen episodes to put out. Um, which I can't really announce any of them until they they're done because they're pretty inter- they're interview based. But I got me really excited for training camp. And like we're literally one month away from training camp. I mean, I was watching our Camp Battles episode, which is our first episode on YouTube. And your face is like basically eating your camera and mine. <laughs> I had short hair at the time. I'm, get, I'm getting very excited for training camp. And when you're listening to this, it's one year anniversary of my dog being dead. 
Oh, jeez. You had to throw that in there. A lot of happy things, happy things going on. And, uh, you and had the to day before you're listening to this, 11 years since Billy Mays died. Oh, jeez. You had to throw it in there. That's that's who you are. I'm very that's excited for are. the 4th of July. Very excited for the 4th of, 4th of July. 4th of July. Mailbag, a lot of fun, a lot of fun coming up. Which, on. by the way, that tweets out. So if you have your 4th of July mailbag questions, go to at Talking Giants on Twitter and, and ask them. So Non-football related questions. Yeah. Um, I think the the one last year, the all, all things Giants, was like, what do we like and dislike the most about each other? That one really got uh, going. There's already been one really good one, which is um, out of if you're a fictional character. Well, that one's a good one, but the Giants uh, draft like you know, like pick your starting five for a Giants basketball team. Which I'm going to put together some parameters for that, and I'll let you and Danny know ahead of time. And we're going to sure. draft our teams, and we'll see we'll see who wins. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, any other things we need to get to hit on before we get into the, the, the areas of improvement segment? Um, I guess, well, I mean, I, I have to thank people. I mean, I, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a job at the company if it weren't for everybody. You don't so have to thank, thank anybody. It's all you. I'm th- no, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thanking the people who listen and kind of support us because it's kind of crazy. Um, that, that, that we're here. Do we have any new Patreons? Patrons? No new no. Patreons. And thank you to all the no. haters and losers of which there are many. There you go. Um, all right. Improvements. Improvements. All right. So this is actually like a an inch. Like last year, we probably would have saved this segment for training camp because there wasn't really a real training camp. But the area's improvement for the like for the Giants, and it's not simply like p- score more points. Like obviously they need to improve on offense, but it's just some like little like micro like like points to get on. And here's something. And I know I'm one who says get that stretch that you know stretch the offense get it downfield stretch it downfield and that and I'm still very big on that and Justin you're going to talk about that a little more and you know and I'll throw in my you know my uh, my play design stats that I was charting throughout the season but here is something that was extremely lacking for the New York Giants in 2020 involving the running back in the passing game. It might be it might be the most pathetic thing of the 2020 New York Giants offense when you really look at it and compare it to the rest of this year cuz even though like we weren't really producing big plays at least when we did attempt them we were like the best in the league at it like we were you know most efficient now we didn't do it enough for you know the efficiency to translate into a ton of points but where we truly were lacking was our running backs being involved in the receiving game it was brutal how much money did we pay Deion Lewis? And he had 19 receptions, and 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 whenever we did kind of throw the ball to him, remember that Tampa Bay game? How awesome of a catch that was! Yeah, he and, had some good receiving, you know, like he had some like good receiving moments, and they just did not use him. Um, besides, a very you know, very you know, it was few and far between, and that's with Saquon being down. You know, like when Saquon was healthy, we're like Deion Lewis is probably you know going to have a pretty healthy role in this offense, and he really didn't have that, even with Saquon down. And if if Deion Lewis had 20 catches with Saquon healthy, I'm like, yes, that sounds about right. But the fact that Saquon Barkley missed 75% of the season and Deion Lewis finished the season 19 catches, 30 targets. Um, now, the crazy thing about Deion Lewis is that his his yards before the target, you know, his, you know, his average depth of target, whatever you want to call it, it was like two and a half yards down the field, which is unheard of for a running back. Like usually Alva Kamara, who gets like 0.8, who is targeted, his average depth of target is like 0.8. That's usually like very high for a running back. But I mean, it's just such a low sample size that, 
you know, that one Tampa Bay catch that he had was, you know, what was that, a, a, a seven-yard touchdown? Yeah, like, like the like, 17-yard oh, catch versus the Eagles. That was, like, right on the yeah. sideline. Um, yeah. So I did a comparative of the Giants running backs receiving game compared to just the NFC East, which is four bad offenses. Like, the NFC East consisted of four bad offenses, but I think three very different offenses where Philly was very downfield-oriented. Washington was, you know, if you're a running back, Not. like you know, if you're a, getting a running back, if you want a, a PPR running back, get the Washington, get whoever Alex Smith's running back is going to be, essentially. Yeah, Antonio Gibson, and then yeah. Dallas, which was a very like balanced offense, you know, where it has that downfield attack, but it you know has its checkdowns built in. Whether it was you know, and they were good, they had a good offense for five games, and then Dak went down. They had some good games after that. So the Cowboys, their running backs had 80 catches for 531 yards. On average per game, that's five catches, thirty-three yards. So nothing great, but that's that's all right. Like you know, five five catches a game for your running backs is pretty decent. Washington. Now this is a hundred twenty catches, a hundred twenty catches catches for the running back, eight hundred forty-eight yards. That's seven and a half per game. That's a lot. That's a ton. Fifty-three yards, seven yards per attempt on it. Um, and then the Cowboys had six point six yards per attempt on it. The Eagles, which is very downfield oriented, had 59 catches for 432 yards, which is 3.6 catches per game and 27 yards per game. Seven and a half yards per catch. So they did it very little compared to the other two teams, but they theirs were more effective, 7.5. Now here's the Giants, and I'm even going to split this without the Pittsburgh game. The Giants, as a team, 62 catches. So that's three more than Philly, um, but, you know, 58 less than Washington, 18 less than Dallas, 378 yards. That's the least amount of yards by by 64 yards. So they had three uh, more catches than the Eagles, but 64 less yards. So 3.8 catches, 23.6 yards per game, 6.2 yards per catches uh, with with their running backs. Take away the, the Steelers game because that was Saquon involved. Yeah. 58 catches, 304 yards, or sorry, on a per game, like if you um, remove that one game and then time to, you know divide by fifteen times by sixteen, it would be fifty eight catches, three hundred four yards, three point eight per game, twenty point two yards per catch, five point three yards per catch, five point three. Whereas the Eagles would have seven point five, the Redskins would have seven, the Cowboys six point six. So in that Steelers game, Saquon had six catches for sixty yards. And then Wayne Gallman had one catch for 14 yards in that game. The closest game, just for a total running backs, was the Rams game, where we had 43 receiving yards for our running backs. So Saquon playing one game, and this does show the impact Saquon makes, but it's a bigger issue than just Saquon not being there, is a 31-yard differential. So just one game with Saquon, we couldn't get within... We got the closest they got with, with... all their running backs together was 31 yards. And then Saquon, you know, had 60 yards in the game. The closest individual was actually week two, Deion Lewis, who had 36 yards, which is 24 yards less than Saquon. And if you think about that, it wasn't really involving the running back in the passing game. There was one member, Daniel Jones, was getting tackled and he flipped the ball to Deion Lewis and there was a bunch of yak. Yes. So that wasn't like trying yeah. to involve your running back. And then I think there was either one or two in that last drive of the game where they are driving, they're playing off coverage, and you know they just got the ball out yep. to Dion Lewis. So yep. it wasn't it wasn't like that. They had four games where their running backs as a whole had less than ten receiving yards. Um, 
you know, um, the most yards per catch in a game was Steelers 10 and a half. And then the Ravens, they had three catches for 35 yards, which is 11.6. So only one game they had more yards per catch. It wasn't even just the total amount, like the volume. It was per game. It, it, per catch, it was bad. Um, every other game, it, it was lower. Saquon finished with six with 60. And just one game, Deion Lewis had 19 catches for 127 yards in the entire season. Wayne Gallman had 27 catches, 114. Wayne Gallman was the feature back essentially the entire season, and he had 54 more receiving yards than Saquon Barkley had in one game. And so, and I'm sorry, I'm getting long-winded in this. I went to the last Giants game of the season, Dallas, and I'm like, I'm just going to chart what the running back does on every receiving play. It was pretty pathetic, man. It was pretty pathetic. So I'm going to have, there's going to be, I'm going to call check swing, which is just like a swing, like it's a check, it's, it's a check down. It doesn't mean it was thrown to him. It was just a check down. Um, and then uh, then I'll have check curl, which is basically like, you know, when they run like through the middle of the line and then curl at like three yards. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do a little button. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, like a a check safe, it's like a safety valve. It's not like involving. Yeah. It's like if they're all else fails. And that's good. And down. that's good for Daniel Jones. It's good for Daniel Jones since he doesn't work from the sideline. He works from middle, like middle of the field, like down, down the field yeah, and then down. Yeah, deep to short, which I like. I'm. If that if you're gonna use your checkdowns, that's where you should have it. But it's like that was all. Here's everyone: check swing route, block and release, play action out, block, play action out, check swing, block and release, block and release, play action out, block and release, check curl, um, out Alfred Morris out wide five yard curl, block, block, block and release, block, check swing, check curl, play action out, um. Another Wayne Gallman out wide five yard curl. So at least they got him lined up out wide. Check swing, block, check curl, block, check swing, block, block. Play action out, check curl. Not a single one of those routes was designed to get to have the running back in the progressions. And that was a game where we were kind of happy with with Jason Garrett's like like that's where we weren't like livid with Jason Garrett with his offensive game plan. Not one- I mean you were most you were most happy about um you know uh, Baltimore and. Uh- Cleveland. I was most happy personally with the 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 home Philly game and then Week 17. I mean, those are the two games that I was most thrilled with, and then I'll I'll explain why. But yeah, but keep going. It, it, even if Saquon goes out again Week One, God forbid, involve your running backs a little bit, man. That's how you that's how you get yak. That's how you can turn big. Play. They just flat out just did not involve their running backs in the passing game, and Dion Lewis was brought in for the sole reason to be a pass catcher for the Giants. Like that is insane. Now, obviously, there's other games where it wasn't quite like that, but like that, it wasn't like I I sought out like their worst game. I just went let's go their their most recent game, fighting for the playoffs, like everything on the line against an undisciplined Dallas Cowboys defense too, where involving your running back might help a little bit, and they just flat out just did not involve their running backs in the receiving game at all. So here's like my question for you, because I even went and I looked back at Saquon's 2019 game log. And I was like, oh, you know, did the receiving production kind of drop? And it did. It, you know, he m- most of the games were three catches or above, which is honestly more more than I kind of thought. But three catches or above, and there's there were some boom games like the Detroit game in 2019, and then the Washington Washington game, the away game. That was definitely a boom game, you know, because Pat Shermer did a bunch of nice, awesome things, and where he was doing streaks down the field, and yet that big touchdown, everybody remembers that. But Bobby, here's like my question for you. I have two questions. What is your expectation for Saquon Barkley receiving this year? And are you kind of looking into this as a, you want quantity 
Like, you want the ball just being given to him so he gets yards after the catch opportunities, or do you want quality opportunities, quality opportunities. Giving, the, giving the ball to Saquon Barkley and, Saqu- and receiving quality opportunities? opportunities. Quality. I don't want us being the 2019 Panthers where it was, let's get the ball to Christian McCaffrey every play in the receiving game. Or the or the 2018 Giants. Yes, that, that's not what I'm asking for. But give us some plays that are designed for that. Like, I don't care who you're – like, and I I get the Wayne Gallman criticism. I kind of led the train on it a little bit. Um, but just do – give us a handful of plays where maybe the running back's the second progression or you're working routes and it's like, you know, it's, if if the linebackers do this, you know, get to your running back immediately. Give us four to five plays of those a game. Try and get – like, you know, not just simply a screen play. Like, like actual plays designed for your running back. Um, because I – mean, it's just to not be doing that in the NFL now is is kind is crazy, and and ex- more so when Saquon's involved. Like and and I th- I don't think that six for sixty and versus Pittsburgh was them like all right we're gonna get re- Saquon involved in the receiving game, you know there was one screenplay but the rest of them were kind of checkdowns, um and like two of them, like two of them was one was like a third and like thirty where they didn't convert and another one was another third and long where Saquon turned it into a crazy play so. Well, there was one that was a second down too, second seventeen, and he like converted the first yeah, down yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So it's and there was and there was a stretch of, there was a stretch of time, Bobby Skinner, like early in the season. There was a stretch of time that that Saquon screenplay and the yards after the catch that he got that was like our most explosive passing play outside of uh outside of Darius Slayton's forty yard forty yard catch that happened week one too. Um, so that so that was kind of fun. That was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of just went back to his twenty eighteen game log. Um, his week week two against Dallas was he had fourteen catches on sixteen attempts, which is bizarre. Then five catches, six catches, four catches. Then a stretch of three games in a row where he had nine catches. I mean, so that is like a ton of. That's that's a little too much. Yeah, and, and that I think was Bobby Eli even, checking the down, ball you, down very quick. Like I don't want that. I do not want that. I don't want Daniel Jones turning into that. But I do want some plays built for the running back, Saquon Barkley or not. Yeah, so we're we're aiming for quality instead of quantity with Saquon Barkley in the receiving game, which I obviously can 100% agree with. I'm hoping that we look back at the end of the year, and I'm not asking for Alvin Kamara insane, like, like, and I'm telling you, it doesn't, like, when you say, oh, Justin, being targeted less, being, like, your average depth of target for a running back is less than a yard, that's absolutely nothing. There has to be running backs that target at least maybe, what, three, four yards down the field? No. If you're being targeted... 80 times, 90 times, 100 times in, in the receiving game. Like, you know, I think some people would project Saquon Barkley to be probably closer to 80. You know, 100 was definitely like his rookie year numbers. But if you're being, if you're running back that's being targeted like 80 times, um, you're largely going to be targeted close to the line of scrimmage. Um, and at least that number being positive and not negative, not Saquon Barkley being targeted behind the line of scrimmage once he finishes this year, that's at least my ask. I want that number to be positive the average depth of target not him being targeted in the backfield right. um so let's 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 do some of that all right bobby skinner do you want do you want to go defense or do you want to go offense um i think i think for us not to step on each other's toes i think it would be best for me to go to defense right, go to defense and then you could do your offense for me and then yeah because i mean everybody knows my explosive play rant but i have some other nuggets thrown in there but let's go defense so defense for me someone other than leonard williams needs to contribute so areas improvement, things that need to improve for the for the 2021 Giants. Somebody other than Leonard Williams needs to be a factor when it comes to pressuring the quarterback 
and getting to the quarterback. And I think this kind of perfectly piggybacks off of what Bobby Skinner wants to say. But let's just let's just do this. Uh, QB hits, sacks, and pressures. Leonard Williams had 30 QB hits. Um, the Giants in total had 107 QB hits. That's 28%. Leonard Williams had 28%. One man had 28% of the Giants' total QB hits from last year. Uh, Leonard Williams had 11 and a half sacks. Giants had 40 sacks as a team last year. That's 29%. Leonard Williams had 29% of the team sacks last year. One man. And more than the entire Pressures. outside linebacker group put together. Correct. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to that next because I made that I made that funny little graphic. Thank you, Bobby Skinner, for reminding me that I did that. Um, and f- 42 pressures out of 165 total pressures that the Giants had last year. Leonard Williams had 25% of the team's total pressures. One out of every four pressure. Now, pressures are a lot easier to get. Than, than sacks, obviously, because they had 165, right? And that's the most out of, you know, QB hit sacks. Pressures are a relatively easy, you know, easy thing to do because it's the most thing, it's the thing that you're going to produce most when you're, when you have a pass rush. 25%. One out of every four QB pressure was Leonard Williams getting to the quarterback. And, you know, Bobby, you know, you talked about out of all the edge rushers, the Giants edge rushers, nine players combined, nine and a half, and I've said, I said this before, but nine and a half sacks, 27 QB hits, 55 QB pressures. Leonard Williams had two more sacks. He had three more QB hits, but he had 13 less pressures. But again, you know, nine players versus one player. Um, So that is my, you know, the thing that, you know, short story, long story short, somebody other than Leonard Williams needs to step up this year because if there is even a little bit of regression, which there really is no reason for there not to be, you know, and we've talked about this. Regression numbers, not like how how good he is. Right, right. Well, the, uh, the, Leonard Williams could be a better player than last year and have eight sacks. Well, true. That's true, what I, I, that's I I'm what, still. I, I hate the way some people use the word regression. They're like, right. "Oh, is this not the exact same production?" It's like, "Oh, is this, you know, like the is this a you know the, is this a whatever butterfly meme?" Like that's not reg- like Leonard Williams can be a better player, be shedding blocks either, but just not get eleven and a half sacks. He can have eight and be a just a better football player at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he could he could have eight sacks. He could have twenty. He can have you know twenty five QB hits instead of thirty, and then he could still produce forty pressures, which is this you know the same amount that he had in twenty twenty. And it's like, oh well, you still had a really good year. It's it's the pressure that you get on the quarterback. That is what I've always looked at. That is why I've always been a Leonard Williams defender because he has gotten the pressure on the quarterback, and it it has gone up since he has been a New York Giant. But if there is, even if the pressure goes down. A, a little bit, because Leonard, that is a that is an insane bananas year that Leonard Williams put up. And real, am I rooting for him to put up a similar year that he did in 2020, especially because he got the big money? Yes, but it kind of is unrealistic just to expect. Like that's an, like this is an insane this is an insane year that he had as an, an interior defense alignment. But how it could be maybe easier for him to maybe match those numbers or. You know, his job can get a lot easier if just somebody else is contributing, whether that be Lorenzo Carter, who I'm, wor- I'm you know, I'm worried about coming off that injury. You know, if this is O'Shane, who is a guy that's kind of on the outside looking in, at least in my eyes right now, because he was getting low snaps to start off, or one of these rookies, you know, even if one of these rookies situationally Aziz, can. Aziz, baby, can we're looking at here. you. Oh, oh Denigbo, or Aziz, or our friend um, Odenigbo. Well. I thought I had it right with Odenigbo. I think it's Odenigbo. We're gonna to have to confirm this for oh, PPP. Dan- Sorry, so that's uh, my bro. that's my 
that's my thing. What are your What are your thoughts? Whether you feel like you can I agree. That's why Aziz Ojolari is such a huge piece. What is What is he as a rookie? Can you be some like? And when I get into my defensive thing, one of my solutions to it is edge production, not you know coverage like you know not like um, I mean Art, we didn't have edge production in 2020. We didn't. No. We, like Lorenzo no. Carter looked good, then no. he got hurt. We had no like Kyler Fackrell was all right, but he was more like all right in the sense of like a do it all type player. O'Shane got hurt. Carter Coffin, you know, there's some flashes there, but he didn't give us solid edge production. Cam Brown, no. Like, who get, who gave us Ed, Marcus Golden? If they would have played him, he would have got some, but he didn't. He didn't play. So they just didn't have edge production. Um, You know, uh, uh what's his? Trent Trent Harris. What's the other one? He's still on the team. Jabal Sheard. Jabal, Jabal Sheard. Like, we just didn't have edge production. So if Aziz Ojalari can come in and give edge production, and, production, and I don't know what Lorenzo is going to be, but even... Even Lorenzo last year wasn't like a dominant edge, but he had some, you know, but he did have some big moments that, that helped. Um, edge production can be, can heal a lot of wounds and and make things look a ton better if we just get some real deal edge production. So Aziz Ojolari, man, like I, I kind of have, I hope my expectations aren't too high for him in year one because I do kind of expect him to come in and be the best player at that spot, albeit he's only you know just turned twenty one last he's month. Twenty, that's my thing, man. That's my thing. Where he's 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 twenty years old. He's twenty years old, and you know that's that's the thing where I'm like you know biting my nails, where you have like the there is no choice but the edge room to be better than it was last year. Like I, I feel like there it's it's almost like like we talk about the offense. The, there literally is no way the offense can be worse than it was in 2020. And that is not us just being Homer optimistic. No, it's kind of true. Like there is, there's no feasible possible way that the Giants offense can be worse this year than it was last year. And I would like to think the same thing in the edge room. Now the defense can be worse than it was last year. And that's like a worry, you know, in the back of your brain, like, Oh, the Giants defense was so good. Are they just going to regress as a group? But you're like, well, if the edge, if the edge group can literally just be something, because they were nothing last yeah. year. If the edge room can just be something, then that can hopefully uh, compensate for maybe another group taking somewhat of a step back. So then the defense won't lose any track as a unit. Yeah, and the Giants were like, they were high. And... Sorry, I just muted myself as I went to go search something. Um, <laughs> let's see if I can find it. I'm on where like they were good. Like, what were they ranked in in sacks? I think they were ranked like. They were ranked around middle of the pack. But they were top 10 in pressure percentage, though. But it was like none of it They're was top- from the edge. Like, the defensive tackle group had, like, 21 no, and no. a half sacks. Um, well, like, I mean, like, Bobby, Leonard Williams got over a quarter of the team sacks last yeah. year. And then, you know, you got, you know, Dexter <laughs> sacks, Dalvin sacks, Austin Johnson throws Blake one Martinez. in there. Blake Martinez. The safeties ended up having some sacks, like, uh-huh. So yeah, it was yeah. Those slot those slot corners getting in there. Yeah, that was a thing early in had, the season. Had a couple, where he was sending them every week. He should have had one more, but they're like, oh, he broke Kyle's leg. It's not a sack. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It was a sack. Okay, he broke his leg. It wasn't doing it on purpose. Um, but watch your legs around these safeties. All right. Um, you know, I was going to say you do your offense, but since we're talking about that defense, let me go through it. And I kind of have a it's a good I have a full page on it. Um, and this is going to come off kind of as a monologue, but I don't care. So I even wrote it down kind of like in sentence form, which is I don't usually do. So how could the Giants' defense improve? They were ninth in scoring in 2020. Ninth. They only allowed 22.3 points per game after being the 31st uh, ranked defense in 2019. They jumped up to ninth. And I know they added some good players, but they didn't add that many good players. 
But as good as they were as uh, uh, stopping points, opponents' drives ended in a score. They were in the bottom half of the NFL at 41.5%. So how it, they were, I think, 17th or 18th in the bottom half of the NFL and allowing uh, per you know scores per drive. Well, how did this happen? Well, they were the ninth worst team on third down conversions at 44.6%. So how did they end up ninth in points? Well, guess what? They were second best in the NFL at stopping red zone touchdowns at 50.8%. Good for so you. Half, I have the same half stat. Half the time they got into the red zone, they were stopping them from scoring a touchdown. That was second best in the NFL, which is just beautiful. Um, but they they were also fourth worst in time of possession per drive at three minutes and two seconds. Um, but they also had the fourth least amount of drives, which comes with the, the time of possession thing. Um, so they were truly a bend but don't break defense. You know, like the results at the end of the day are good, but that's hard. Like you don't want to try and do that. And I do think the Giants attack this offseason and being like, hey, we can't do the exact same things that we did in, t- in 2020. And that's why we've seen such a pre- uh, uh, emphasis around man coverage. And that's why, like, how do you fix this? How do you get better as a defense? Well, guess what? Straight up man coverage, especially on third down, with either high, you know, too high safety, a high safety, a, a low linebacker, or blitzes. We didn't blitz and play man coverage. You know, we had some blitzes, but they were not like pure. Uh, we're rushing five six, and we're trusting our guys on the back end. And the darn, you know, uh, sorry, the Adoree Jackson signing, Aaron Robinson, whatever he's going to be his rookie year. Those were conceded efforts to be more of aggressive playing that man coverage and not only on third down but first and second down because guess what when you do that on first and second down with the Giants didn't they played soft zone a lot which I was a fan of because you know because of what the production was and and how Patrick Graham was doing and disguising looks and I posted a video about it earlier but guess what if you do that stuff on first and second down guess what we have incompletions and more sacks on first and second down which what does that lead to Justin third and long and it helps you get off the field on third down which the Giants didn't again they were the ninth worst team in the NFL on getting off the field on third down while being the ninth best. And it wasn't like they were, you know, ball hawks either for turnovers. They were good in that area, but they weren't just total ball hawks. And I know you want to talk about that. Uh, or no, you no, you don't actually want to talk about that. Well, no, I mean, no, it's, it's, it, it's a desire where if I had an honorable mention, and now this is really being greedy. If I had an honorable mention of like, I really want the Giants to do this and improve on this a little bit. Turnovers per drive, they first they forced uh, turnovers at like the 12th highest rate in the National Football League. I want them top 10 this year. I, I really want them to be. They have ball hawking guys in the secondary, guys that can, you know, tip passes, that uh, make plays on the ball. I mean, James Bradbury had some wild, crazy interceptions last year where he just literally robbed balls out of, you know, um, uh, uh, what's uh, what's his face from Chicago? Allen Robinson? Allen Robinson. You know, he just robbed the ball out of Allen Robinson's lap. You know, I want more turnovers this year because especially, like, you know, if we need an all-hands-on-deck effort to give a, to give this offense as many opportunities as possible to score and points. Pressure and to put creates them, turnovers. Which, yes, and which pressure creates from turnovers. Blitzing so blitzing and better more, edge production. Yes, so, yes. And so, better man um, that, That's kind of like a, that's like a selfish want. You know, even though, like, yeah, you know, and, and I think, you know, even there's some, you know, the analytics says, you know, all oh, you know, turn, you know, turn, predicting turnovers year in and year out for defenses is kind of random. Um, but no, I, I think if the Giants have a philosophy of we want to get after it and we want to 
forced turnovers. I think that that's not random. Like, you know, obviously what happens if a quarterback makes good decisions or not, that is random. But having that mentality of we want to go after the ball and we want to help this offense and we want to turn over the ball, that should be a, a, a ball-hawking kind of aggressive mentality that this defense should have this year to be a bunch of dogs because they have the dudes to do it. Don't want so, cats, want dogs. Um, <laughs> um, before you do your next one, can you read the ad? Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby Skinner, DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, I wish almost like all those Football outsider stats that you were kind of talking Did you get them from Football Outsiders? Nope. No. No, because, I mean, I have here touchdowns per drive, field goals per drive. A Giants, uh, they allowed touchdowns per drive at the 10th least rate, but they allowed field goals per drive at the third most often. I mean, that is such a dichotomy, which that tells you that, hey, this Giants defense was kind of close to being bad, but they weren't. So, but they did the things that they needed to do this offseason to make sure that they will not be allowing touchdowns this drive. And I wish you can look, and I wish you can bet on DraftKings Sportsbook with all these fun things, touchdowns per drive, field goals per drive, yards per drive. You know, how many yards is uh, is uh, Drew Locke going to get on the first drive of this game? I wish you could bet on these things with DraftKings Sportsbook. So maybe we'll introduce that. Maybe when Bobby Skinner and Justin Pennick they get their own packages, we'll introduce those things. So DraftKings Sportsbook, it's my favorite sportsbook because it, it has allowed our company, John Boy Media, to do some fun bets. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate. Plenty of instructions for new bettors. Nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family, they've been loving DraftKings Sportsbook. I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1.100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that is still in contention. Bet $1. And if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. There's other sports too. Hockey's going on. I think the finals in hockey are going on. Florida. Uh, can you bet Tampa the Olympics? Bay, Hockey Town. Can you bet the Olympics? The Olympic trials is happening. My mother's been watching that. I don't know. You should. You should be able to bet the Olympics. People will go nuts over that. I don't know. You're not I'm, an Olympics I'm guy? I'm going for my USA mother's been watching the. That's what I'm going for. The synchronized diving. That's what my mother's. That's what my mother's been watching. Also, um, I I am shocked that the ratings are up for like this this NBA playoffs. Like without LeBron, without Curry. I mean, I'm I'm loving it. Cause, you know, good for sports. Well, because last year they was during the middle of football season. Oh, that is like, true. I'm, I'm an NBA true. head. I, I think the NBA Finals is the best sporting event in the world, like more than the Super Bowl, like the, the, the drama of the NBA Finals. And I just wasn't into it because it was in football season because football is king. Yeah. Is it like, is everybody getting hurt? Is that, yeah, is that what's sucks. happening in the NBA Now, right Trey now? looks like he's all right, but it, I mean, it, it just sucks. And I gave a, a rant. I don't know if you were on this for that podcast or this was with the Grump. Um, Why was so, fr- like, People were saying like, "Oh, you just deal with injuries." It's like I like oh, no, you I'm have sorry. to deal with injuries. Like, like if the Phoenix Suns win the championship, does it unvalidate their championship? No, because you know you had you have to stay healthy. But the idea that the Nets were just supposed to just oh just deal with it like is just is just silly. It's just because you hate the Nets. That's why I say it, which is fine. Hate the Nets, silly. but don't don't act like you're being logical when you're think the Nets should just deal with all their injuries. Silly, yeah. Um, Giants were a relatively healthy team last year, so if it, hey, Bobby Skinner, you didn't you didn't want to say you don't want to have you didn't want to have a worst fears episode, yeah. Besides Saquon, I'm worried that the Giants are going to have a weird year where everybody gets hurt. That's a fear of mine. It's a fear of mine. Finish the ad. Hopefully that doesn't happen. 
Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code JOHNBOY when you sign up to turn $1 and $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code JOHNBOY for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook credit. For, oh, for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 109 with it. That was almost perfect. Almost killed it. Almost perfect isn't perfect. Talk about the offense. Let's talk about the offense, Bobby Skinner. So, I mean, everybody knows my spiel about explosive plays. Um, You know, hey, Giants need to do more of it. They weren't really good at it. They need to do more of it. Well, I actually went back recently and I charted every single play of 20 plus yards from the 2020 season. Um, Now, this is with my eyes and I did it with Game Pass. So if there was one or two that I missed whoops, I'm sorry, and I messed up. Um, I'm not a computer. But I am estimating that there were 41 total explosive plays of 20-plus yards last year. 38 of them, if you include non-garbage time. So there were 38 relevant 20-plus yard plays in 2020. Um, I don't have rankings for explosive plays of 20-plus yards, but I do have rankings for rates of passes that are 15-plus yards and runs of 10-plus yards. So overall, the Giants' offense, they were 25th in the league in explosive plays. When you incorporate rates of passes of 15-plus yards and then the rate of runs of 10-plus yards. 17th in rushes of 10-plus yards. They weren't bad. They actually got a lot better towards the second half of the season. We talk all the time about the transformation of the Giants' running game. Kind of happened when when they really started to believe in Daniel Jones, and he was a big part of it as well. 30th in passes of 15-plus yards. So if you're like, oh, 38 explosive plays of 20 plus yards most of them are pass plays and you know you know they average maybe about two two and a half per game that's not that bad well if you do compare it to the rest of the nfl at least from 15 plus yards it's not very good passing game was bottom of the barrel in the nfl um so the most plays of 20 plus yards in a single game bobby skinner was four and they did it twice it was week 16 against dallas at home and then week 10 at versus philly at home now, Can I say something about that Philly game? Yes. That Philly game, which everyone's like, wow, the offense looked good. That was Daniel Jones being essentially perfect for every throw. I mean, there's there like one pass from that game where it's like, oh, Jones screwed that up. Like, yeah. he converted every single downfield concept. They converted that game. I think he went like like three for three or four for four in that game. Yeah. Um, and there was also a holding call for Andrew Thomas. That would have been Daniel Jones's second rushing touchdown, I think. I don't know if that would have been a 20-plus yard play. But I do know the first touchdown was a 20-plus yard play because I think it was like a 33-yard rushing touchdown. Um, and that's honestly, that's honestly like, I, I think that's my favorite play of the season. That Daniel Jones rushing touchdown against Philly. It was the first one that he had. It was, it was awesome. Awesome. Um, so, note, they also did have four plays of 20-plus yards versus the Browns, Bobby, because I know how much you love that Browns game, even though it was a loss. But one of them came during garbage time. I mean, we were getting blown out for most of the game. So credit to Colt McCoy. I mean, that the Colt McCoy-led offense produced four explosive plays of 20-plus yards. Three, three of them came when it was relevant football. Freddie Kitchens, baby. Um, so so, here, so here, here is, I think, simply just telling you, telling you who had the explosive plays and where and when and blah, blah, blah. I think it may give you a little bit of ajita. But then I want you to think about, oh my God, I'm getting, this is the longest I've talked in a while. I'm sorry. Get it together. I'm okay. 
it will it will also give you hope for the future. It's like think of like who this could be. Like, oh, maybe this could be Kadarius Tony. Maybe this can be Kenny Galladay. Maybe this can be Saquon Barkley. Hopefully, Daniel Jones's legs are kind of healthy. So, so let so let's do this. I actually pop quiz Bobby Skinner. Who had more explosive plays um, in 2020? Sterling Shepard or Jerry Slayton? Who had more plays of 20 plus yards? I'm going to say Shepard because he had some running plays and he had some yak plays. Yes, so you but are, you are had correct. More where he caught them 20-plus yards down the field. Yes, yes, so you are correct, and I did not expect that. I mean, I did this exercise, and especially towards the second half of the season when Sterling Shepard kind of came like back. four in that Week 17 game. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of cool, and it, it only implements the fact and my notion and my love for Sterling Shepard and how important he is and how good of a connection he has with Daniel Jones. So Sterling Shepard produced a total of 11 explosive plays of 20-plus yards in 2020. Darius Slayton produced a total of 10 plays of 20-plus yards in 2020. The only difference being Sterling Shepard's rushing touchdown versus Dallas Week 17. So both of them produced 10 plays of 20-plus yards in the receiving game. Sterling Shepard had one rushing play of 10-plus of yards. Now, here's something that's fascinating. I did not expect this. I did not even have this theory. But, you know, I, I we talk all the time. You know, I talk sometimes about Evan Ingram, you know, inline versus outline. And, you know, the snap differential that he had. And, you know, I want Evan Ingram to take more snaps out wide versus inline because that's where most of his interceptions happened. Every single Evan Ingram play of 20-plus yards in 2020 was him lined up on the outside. None of them came with his hand on the ground. Zero. Zero. How many did he have in total? How many did he have in total? I can find that out for you in one second. If I do a little control F. Six. That's interesting. Yep. That's not the way it happened in 2019 either. So out wide, because can that be like three yards outside the tackle, but standing up? Yeah, basically, now, I, I'm sorry if I'm not getting the correct definition of what is out wide and in line. Basically, in when Evan Ingram's hand is... For what you're saying. When, when Evan Ingram's hand is not in the ground. Okay. That's what I'm talking okay, about. that makes and sense. And he's standing upright. That makes sense. And then I have one more just about the rushing game. And then we can kind of just talk about, you know... Who, what, who fits in this, and what, when, where, how. The Giants had eight running plays of 20-plus yards in 2020, which is kind of pathetic. Um, four of them were by Daniel Jones, two by Wayne Gallman, one by Alfred Morris, one by Sterling Shepard, Week 17. Um, and that's uh, and that's kind of like my extended so three by the play. running backs. That's, yeah. that's brutal. Now, ways to fix yeah. this. One, the better players, Kadarius, Tony, Kenny Galladay. Two... Calling more downfield concepts. I charted it. He, Jason Garrett did not call downfield concepts for Daniel Jones. So simple, simple enough. All right. Since we're running a little long, let's kick it to the interview with Jamar Chaney. I, 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 I really enjoyed this interview. He was with the Giants this offseason as a coach. Uh, like I guess you call it part-time through the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship. He's a defensive coach at Mississippi State right now. Um, so we, we, you know, he talked about, you know, his time with the Giants. I thought it was a... I thought it was a cool interview, man. And I'd love to see him back around and maybe getting a, a, a job as, you know, a, a coach when, you know, Kevin Scherrer takes a defensive coordinator job with, you know, the, the Lions or something. I don't know. Um, so here's the interview. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right. We now welcome on to the program. He's currently uh, a defensive analyst for Mississippi State assistant coach. 
He spent uh, this offseason with the Giants in a, a program we'll talk about. Former NFL player of the Philadelphia Eagles, which we're going to talk about that a little bit too because you got to pick on our guy, Eli. <laughs> Jamar Chaney. Jamar, what's going on, my man? What's going on, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So I, I brought up to bef- before the show, besides, you know, you, you know, working with the Giants and, and having that, we also have another connection. You were a head coach and I believe played high school ball and grew up in, in uh, Port St. Lucie. I'm about 30 minutes uh, north of there in Brevard County. So uh, I, we got We got a, a more than a couple connections. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I coached at, uh, you know, Port St. Lucie in Port St. Lucie. I'm from Fort Pierce, so that's a little closer to you. But uh, okay. Uh, my wife, yeah, my wife is from Brevard, so I mean, I know that area very, very well. She's from Melbourne, so. Okay, I'm in Melbourne. I'm in Melbourne right now, so. <laughs> um, small world, which is funny because you know it's a New York Giants podcast, but I got a few listeners who are from from around here, which is weird. Do you ever get back to the Florida East Coast, man? Because I know you're, you know, in in Mississippi now. Um, I I get I get pressure to move up to New York, but I don't think I could ever lo- leave this Florida <laughs> coast, man. Oh yeah, man, we love Florida. Uh, we haven't been back since last, uh, probably the Fourth of July. We actually coming back this. We'll be be back in probably two weeks, so it'd be our first time uh, in over a year coming back. So, okay, well, it's a good it's a good time. Now, also, we're, you know, I I do want to talk about the you know the Giants and the coaching and everything. Um, what was your best NFL moment? Um, was it intercepting Eli? Because I always look whenever the Giants make a move, whether it's coaching, like, all right, is there any connection to the Giants? I look up yours and you and you have an interception on Sunday night football and an upset win versus, uh, you know, the eventual Super Bowl champion, New York Giants. Is, was that like your top moment or is there, is there anything else from your career that you really look at? Well, I mean, I, I, I was told, you know, when I got up there, because I, I talked to a couple of guys, you know, uh, up there. They, they told, I told them what my uh, best memory was probably as a player. And they said, yeah, you might not want to share that with any Giants fans. Uh, but <laughs> my, my, uh, my best memory is uh, what they call it, the Miracle in the Meadowlands that year. Uh, it was 2010. Oh, man, uh, you were on that team. You were 2010 to 2012. That's brutal, man. <laughs> yeah, that was that was actually my first start in the NFL, and I ended up having 16 tackles. And, uh, like, the fourth fumble that, that I forced, like, it was like third quarter. That actually started the, uh, the run, uh, the comeback. So, I mean, I think that was my, probably my most memorable moment in the NFL. Okay, so now I'm gonna have to go and clip that and and just torture Giants fans a little more. Um, but now you you know for for now you're you're you are on on the good guys side. So you were part of the Bill Wall, I got Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship um, program. One, you know, I looked up the website and did some research on it, but it you know there's not a ton. Of, what exactly is it, and how did you get involved with it? I it just give minority coaches a chance, you know, the, the the intern and things like that to actually get you know, get their foot in the door and get in front of people and show them, you know, what they can do. Uh I kinda I mean, I, I think I kinda stumbled upon it as far from the NFL trust and those type things and, and people just you know word of mouth, people telling me about it. I actually did it with the Chiefs last year doing training camp and then uh got the opportunity to do it with the Giants this year doing OTAs. Okay. How did you get I, – I saw, like, you know, you take you know, five teams you choose. How did you get hooked up with the Giants? And was it as simple as the Joe Judge-Mississippi State connection, or was it was it kind of random? Uh, Well, I would say both of mine weren't, weren't random. I mean, I played for Andy Reid, and, I mean, he, he got me. I have a good relationship with him, so I was able to do it with the Chiefs. And I also have a good relationship with uh, Joe Judge, and not just him, but it's like seven other guys 
that was on that that's on the Giants staff that were at Mississippi State when I played, you know. So I got a good relationship with those guys, and I think that kind of you know played a role in it as well. What were what were some of the the more like the guys that you were closer to that are on that staff? Well, Joe Judge, I was really close with because he was the linebacker GA when I played. So you know, I had close contact with him a lot just because he was the guy you know in the meeting room with us uh, for, for two or three of my years. Uh, Amos Jones, he was actually my linebacker coach my first forgot about Amos. my first two years at uh Mississippi State. Uh, Freddie Kinsley was the running back coach at Mississippi State. Uh, Ryan Holloman, uh, uh, Jody Wright, Blevins was the DB, uh, GA. Uh, I think I'm missing somebody. Uh, no, you you got as soon as I asked that question, I was like, okay, I Jody, Freddie, I, and then I forgot about Amos. Um, which is cool. Something I do like about Joe Judge is that he really goes to the college ranks with a lot of his coaches, you know, not even just, you know, like Sean Spencer, he didn't have a, a direct correlation. So within the program, you're spending the off season with the giants. What exactly is your role right now with the giants? I, I doubt you're, you know, out there as like, you know, the main coach of whatever, but like, what is your, what has been your role during this time? Uh, I mean, just trying to soak up as much, you know, knowledge as I can. And uh, one thing I like, you know, about how Joe does it, I mean, he actually gets the guys opportunity to actually go out there, you know, actually coach the guys. I mean, he, 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 you know, he preaches. He don't want anybody just standing around out there. If you out there, you out there for a reason. So coach the guys up, you know. So uh, that was that was probably the main thing, you know. And they give you studies and things like that, you know, to uh, you know to see what you can do, you know, as far as evaluating players, uh, you know. Uh, you know, breaking down uh, defenses uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it, it's like the whole nine yards. I mean, they, they had a really good thing going, and it it's like a total all-around, you know, program where they try to, you know, see what you can do, but also uh, help you learn a lot of different things and how they do things there. Yeah. Were you specifically with the linebackers or, or just kind of like all over with the defense? Specifically with the linebackers, you know, so I was with uh, Kevin, the linebacker co- inside linebacker coach, and uh, – but man, with the whole defense, pretty much. So you know, a lot with uh Pat Graham, uh you said somebody Spencer, uh, and all those guys on the defensive side of the ball. So I had, I, I'm learning pretty much bouncing around, but mainly with the linebackers. Right. Who who's a player that you like connected with or or saw like you know growing? I know they have you know Blake obviously is the leader of that core, but you got Tay who's a young guy and, and relatively new to the position. Carter Coughlin switching over to that. So it, was there a guy that you kind of connected with the most there? I kind of I kind of talked to all of them. I mean, I I I probably would say you know Tay Crowder just because I, I mean he reminds me of kind of like you know my situation. He was seven round pick, I was seven round pick. He got to play a lot of his rookie year and kind of shine, and I, I did the same. You know, just seeing you know his athletic ability and the, the things that he can do, you know, uh, on the football field. If he continues to develop and continue to grow, he can be a really good player. And him and uh, Blake complement each other very well, you know, in, the, in that linebacker course. Yeah, man, it's been it's been fun to see competent linebacker play as, as a New York Giant because it, it was kind of dry for a little while. And you notice with Blake is he allows guys to be themselves next to them, where Tay can kind of, you know, he's inexperienced, he was inexperienced, but came in and just played fast and aggressive and next to Blake and, and behind all those big defensive linemen. It seemed to to work out really well for him. Um, are you going to be uh, with them throughout the preseason and training camp? I know that's a part of the program, but obviously you have Mississippi State duties as well. Yeah, that that'll be that'll be tough. I mean, I kind of got lucky last year when I did it with the Chiefs, just because I had kind of already accepted the uh, 
the training camp invitation from the Chiefs before I came with the Mississippi because I was at the University of Florida before that. But uh, so they let me continue to do that with the uh, Chiefs. And I didn't do the whole training camp just in two weeks. So I won't be doing it during training camp. But uh, like I said, I'm always in touch with those guys, man, and, and trying to pick their brain. And, uh, yeah, you never know what can happen down the road. So, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, what got you into coaching is, I mean, obviously, you know, there can be some generic answers to that. But, you know, and there's obviously a natural progression from playing. But what made you want to go from, you know, you didn't go straight to the NFL. You went to high school. Like, what kind of inspired you to take up that take up that career? Well, I always wanted to coach, uh, man, at a young age. Uh, and I always wanted to start at high school, you know, when I got done, just to get back to the community where I'm from and, uh, you know, help those kids out. And, I mean, I, you're trying to figure out your purpose in life and things like that, you know, after football, because I love it uh, and I enjoy it. And I trained hard for it and worked my butt off uh, to get where I got. But, uh I kind of I kind of put two and two together, man. I, I wanted to do something that I was passionate about doing, you know, which is football, and then also do something that, I, to me, it seemed like you helped giving back and kind of, you know, uh, sowing into these these young men, you know. So put two and two together, and that's a football coach. So uh, that's kind of how I figured I wanted to be a football coach. How do you like working with Coach Leach? I feel like Leach and Judge are both, like, football guys, but seem to be, like, kind of opposite personalities. How do you like working with, uh, with Leach? He seems like... He seems like, you know, the dude from the Big Lebowski where Joe Judge is, like, attention to detail, like, full balls to the wall every second of the day. Yeah, they probably all told the offense, but I love working for him. He's an interesting man, and uh, one thing about him, man, he, he lets his guys, you know, do what they're supposed to do. I mean, he's a guy that's going to let you coach, and he's going to uh, let you do your job. I mean, he's going to get on you, you're not doing it, but he's a guy that believes in the guys that he hired, and he's going to make sure, you know, uh, that you have every opportunity you need or everything that you need to be successful, you know. So it's been it's been great uh, working for uh, Coach Leach for the last year. Did you come to – did you go back to Mississippi State with Leach or was that like before he, he came in? It was kind of like with him. So they got hired in like February, you know, and then the pandemic uh, hit. But I didn't get to Mississippi State until like late July. So Okay. Which is funny. I was at University – yeah, yeah, I was at University of Florida before that. So I, like, I, I was coaching high school ball for three years, uh, one year as a defensive assistant, and two years as a uh, as a uh, as the head coach. Then went to the University of Florida and uh, got the opportunity to come back to Mississippi State. In Florida, I was on the recruiting side of things, so the opportunity to come to Mississippi State got me closer to being like an on field coach. Right, right. Which is funny because Judge, you know, the rumor was that that was Judge's job, and then he he uh, ended up joining the Giants, um, which which is pretty cool. Anything that like, you know, I I know you can't go too in detail, but like, what do you think this program like did the most for you? Was it learning under these guys, or was it just simply as making connections? Because we know that's how the coaching business works. It's not, you know, you can be the most, you know, the best candidate for something, but if you don't know the right person, you know, you sometimes you kind of get left out. I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, like I said, I think their, their program is really good. I mean, just because, like, you make those connections, I mean, they have a great staff. I mean, those guys are, you know, uh, uh, good guys, uh, character guys, guys that they, they, they know what they're doing. It seems like the players, like, really, like, you know, actually, like, you know, vibe and connect with them. I mean, especially, like, a guy like you talked about, like, uh, Shana, uh, uh Spencer. I mean, he's a – I mean, those guys seem like they love him on, on, on the field. I mean, he's a good guy, good uh, – you know, he 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 has a good personality, you know, and just it's all around that staff, you know, and those guys like just seeing, you know, the different coaches, like I said, like Spence or Coach Graham, uh, 
how Joe interacts with with all the guys. I mean, it just they got all different personalities on there, but I mean, just the opportunity to learn from them and try to you know to pick their brains and things like that. But like I said, also with with how Joe runs it, he wants you to go out there and coach, you know. So actually getting the opportunity, you know, to uh, to be in the meetings and coaching, being on the field and coaching, uh, actually interacting with the linebackers instead of just sitting there and just you know observing them all the time, you know. Nothing wrong with that, but you kind of got the best of both worlds, you know, doing it uh, with those guys uh, with the Giants. I like that because I, I was – I'll admit I was a little worried that I was going to come on and ask you, you know, what was it like. And they're like, oh, we just had me cutting up film for for a few <laughs> hours. So I'm glad that that they got you on the field and, and got some cool experience with that. Um, so, Jamar, I appreciate you giving us some time from your day. Uh, good luck this year at Mississippi State. Um, and, hey, hopefully uh, – or, you know, maybe we'll see what the future holds. Maybe you're, you're back up here in, in, in Jersey and, and work with the Giants in the future. But – Regardless of what happens, good luck, and I appreciate you giving us some time, man. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thank you, Jamar. All right. No holds bad. He he took me in the low post and won, but I think we had on the varsity. All right. Thanks again, for, uh, Jamar, for coming on. I guess that technically is our first like NFL like Giants coach interview. Whoa. He was te- hey, now. he was technically you know. So how about that? Cool stuff. Tell them, make sure to you know tell them you enjoyed the episode with uh, the Talking Giants guys. Um, and also, if you have a, a good question for our Fourth of July mailbag, which again, it's not like no current like Giants football questions, you can have, put a Giants twist on it. But it's essentially asking us whatever you want, hypotheticals, whatever. It, it, make it un- as uncomfortable as you want. I don't care. One, of, it's my favorite episode of the year. The Fourth of July mailbag. Danny will, Danny King will be with us too, so you can keep that in mind. Yeah. And also, yeah. Justin, I texted you about this morning. You didn't respond. We will have two so. new members of the Talking Giants family for that show. Nope. Yes. It's the easiest thing in the world to take care of. Nope. Can, yes, can we get we Danny will have to do two, it? Nope. We will have two new members. Danny's in college, so he can't be going back and forth. We will have two new members of the Talking Giants family on Friday. Why can't you have two new members of the Talking Giants family? That's a guarantee because this is a partnership. Um, Why can't you have two of the new members? Because you can't put these two members together. Why, are they going to kill each other? Yes. Forget about I it. Can't, I, right, can't, so we, I can't pet them. Stop. You're giving it away. Oh. Um, we'll have two new members of the Talking Giants family um, on Friday for our 4th of July mailbag. We'll do the 4th of July mailbag. It's, it's, I, I, I enjoy it. I think, it's, I think it's a fun episode every year. Um, so we appreciate you guys. We'll see you then. Enjoy your week. Until then, let's go Big Blue.